0: So today we've got Jim on for part two because he was uh excellent in his first part, but he likes to talk about himself quite a bit, so he ran out of <laughs> Sorry about that. I get I get sidetracked. So what we've One done big project. <laughs> so what we've done today is we're going to try and nail it down to um the bits and pieces that people actually want to hear you for, Jim, which is your your SSP, your your strength and conditioning background. So we'll go over some of the bits and pieces that you've done at Amphill um, and how you got them prepped last year for, for the season adequately and then this year, obviously, how you're going to try and get them prepared so that they can hit the ground running, um, you know, when, when all is said and done. But obviously, it's a little bit difficult with knowing when that's going to be at this moment in time. So, we're going to just break it down initially to the very um, first stages that an SNC coach does when he's integrating with a team. So, do you want to talk us through sort of what you do when you're first taking charge of a team and how that gives you sort of a bit of background information to then inform yourself and and your decisions moving forward?
1: yeah, um first sort of moves were getting to the club um get to know the coaches what they want. I think that's a really important thing, especially with a club like Amtel who have had such a sharp rise through the leagues. that they' Probably more likely to be set in stone with their ways because it's been so sex- successful for them. Mm-hmm. But also, I think I was lucky that they're all really open and we had quite a new coaching staff. So we've got Paul Turner at the top, who's um, played for Wales and he's sort of the mastermind behind it all. And then we've got Dave Ward, uh, he's played for Harlequins. Uh, most rugby players will know him. And um, Dave's awesome. He's got, he's Communication skills are brilliant and is really vocal. So uh, it was him. We've got Mo Marich, both of them. He came in a little bit later after pre-season. Um, and then we got two other players, Darryl Benindal, uh played in Bedford in the league, um, and Swani Tongaweir. So we've got three player coaches and Paul, where then Mo came in later on. So it was all about speaking to them and asking what content they want, because at the end of the day, they've, they're the ones who've got to implement their game plans on these players and it's sort of up to me to fill the gaps and that's something I realised quite quickly was they they need to get their work done and then it's up to me to take the opportunities where I've got them to implement what I want and they're really good at listening to what I wanted what I needed out of the players to help me get that within a session but ultimately as the SNC you need to realise that um, a lot of players or coaches or directors of rugby they've got their own idea about how rugby should be done and they know they need S&C but they don't quite understand or know to what extent they need it so you've got to be patient with that and sort of go with the flow and go with their process and then try and get in where you can.
0: So, did they um, when you first went in there? Did they allocate you a set amount of time that you would have with the players, and like you know, during training or you know, outside of training hours and things like that? How did that work? Yeah, very similar to that. So me, and, me,
1: and the coaches would meet up and we'd discuss the weeks plan ahead, what we needed to achieve, and then sort of lay it out like that. And like we'd all have different slots throughout the sessions, and we we did a, a right at the start. We planned a long did sort of an annual periodization plan of, of pre, uh, pre-season and periodize what we wanted and how we could improve all of our aspects across the board um, so that we generally knew what we'd be wanting to do in those sections. But yeah, as the weeks and stuff come round, you you look at what time slots you've been given and think about what week you're in and how you're going to pre- continue to progress
0: from what you've previously done. Yeah, nice one. And, and how quickly did your annual periodization go out the window? Oh, <laughs> don't know what you're talking about obviously as as coaches we we know what it's like you can go in and write the best sort of programs and things like that and then you know you get one result and then the coaches may want to be like you know we've got to spend more time doing tactical stuff than than doing um you know physical fitness and things like that so was it a case of you had the annual periodization you were able to stick to it quite frequently and particularly through the preseason. Period, or or were you having to adapt that on a sort of uh, smaller basis? You know, so microcycle to microcycle.
1: Yeah, I was having to adapt. Yeah, sort of microcycle to microcycle. But I still was able to generally progress what I wanted to. And I was lucky. That Paul Paul's easy to talk to, and Dave they sort of took took charge of most of it in this, in preseason because lots of the player coaches needed to be a part of it as well as coach. They needed to not mess out on too much because they need to develop as well. Um, so yeah, I did get that opportunity to sort of mix and match, but um, where was I going with this? Um, something that I learned. So you were saying about did I scrap the periodization plan? You sort of just think how how can I benefit both people? Can I kill two birds with one stone? And that's I learned that along the way. Sort of small sided games is a perfect way to improve aerobic capacity mm-hmm. and also implement anything with the coaches. So it, a lot of the time was speak to Dave or daryl or Paul, and be like, okay, what what we're trying to achieve with you? Can we implement anything of that within my small side of games to not only get them fitter and do this work on the areas I want
2: to work on, but help you guys achieve your goals as well? Yeah, fantastic. And, was and- there sorry, was there ever an element of uh, compromise? Um, obviously, you're probably working with guys who've been in the game a long time and. Uh, you were trying to introduce something, an element to the game that they might not have experienced as a player. So they then struggled to understand how they fit it in as a coach. So how much of that was a compromise or did you have to literally stand your ground? Uh, a couple of times, but honestly, they were, really, they were pretty good
1: with me and they knew that my background was going to be backed up by the literature. Like if I said, you know, I want to do this because of this reason, I could give them the, the mm. reason why and they'd listen. And also with those guys, they've all been... In rugby 10 plus years so most of what i was saying they probably all experienced at some point even if they hadn't realized it and i think that's one thing i've learned a lot this year with players is there's only a certain type of player that really takes it in and could probably train themselves properly away from it a lot of the guys and especially in the championship because often there's players that have come from academies and not quite made it and then come into the championship and having that S&C coach is so vital for them because they didn't take any of it in. They just do it because that's what they're told to do. So I think they do trust the SNC coach a lot. Um, yeah, a couple of times I in pre in pre-season, I had to be like, OK, I'm not happy with where we are yet. You need to give me this amount of time with them. And they did that,
2: which is great. That's great.
0: Yeah, that's excellent. And and when you sat down with the coaches and things like that, obviously you've just touched on it there, you had sort of academy players who who didn't quite make the cut and things like that come into the team. Um, So was it a case of the the coaches sat down with you and said, right, on an individual basis, we'd like you to work with X player or Y player and say to them, right, we need you to get them from here to here. Was that that a case at all? Definitely. That is probably one of the more challenging
1: aspects of the job is because and I suppose more challenging with Amptel because it's more unique compared to other champ clubs is they've got such a big player pool that they rely on within that 45 to 50-man squad in comparison to a Bedford with a 28-man squad, for example. Um, So it is difficult being the one-man team and you've just got to take, I don't know, watch his face. Yeah, so a good example is one of the boys, um, sort of like a project player, got told he needed to lose a lot of weight and pack on about 10 kegs of muscle. And and you've got to do that all around how you're trying to progress over one as well. So it is challenging, but it's still doable as well. You've got to get the players to buy in. I think that's the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. You speak to the players and be like, okay, this is what we've been told. You need to do what I tell you now. So that, one, you fit the mould of the coach and then, you know you're putting your hat in the ring for a starting place by the come, by the time season starts,
0: and two that my neck's not the line because I haven't got you there i mean one of one of the things that I've found even really early on with sort of doing the work experience and stuff that I've been doing is uh players' perceptions of their weaknesses and then coaches' perceptions of their weaknesses are very very different uh, um, is yeah, I know exactly what you mean <laughs> so, you know ex player may come to you and say, "Oh, you know I need to put on." You know, um, five kg of muscle and things like that. And then uh, the coach may turn around and say, Well, actually, no, they're lacking a little bit of pace or they don't have the power in the contact area. And five kilos of muscle to lacking power in the contact area, you know, in terms of training modalities and things like that, can actually differ quite substantially. Um, So have have you found you've had to integrate coaches into the goal setting process when you're working with players? Yeah. And definitely
1: sort of that relationship with the coaches you develop over time and it took a while for that to come it was sort of a guessing game for me a lot of the time and to credit to the boys you know their gym programs they were spot on especially during pre-season they all did what was required and they all progressed massively which is great for me as a coach but then as you move on down the line and you go more into more specific details of S&C and you go down the strength continuum to keep progressing, and like speed, strength, strength, speed, just to work all aspects. You then look at the players a bit more individually, and that's when you have got to kind of look at coaches and say, okay, this guy over here, he's now lifting 30 kilos more, but he's got a bit slower, which is inevitable mm-hmm. because absolute strength is a slow, speed movement. Mm-hmm. We now need to make a shift of focus to making more dynamic. And say, if he was a back rower. You know, being dynamic is so important. Uh, if it was a back row, and I've got them stronger, so they're going to be better later on down the line. So now we need to shift our um, attention somewhere else, and that, that comes from you as an SNC learning the players. And I think it is difficult to do that, especially coming into a club, into a new environment, and learning about the players because you don't quite know how they play. You don't know what their attributes are on the pitch. And until you watch
0: them play, it's quite difficult to make that assumption. And also, I guess as well, you don't want to change their complete, um, you know, their, their ability to play in their specific way. Obviously, they've got to where they've got to playing in it with a dynamic which is, you know, known to them. So, you know, you, you don't want to then go and change their complete profiling and be like, right, OK, OK, um, you Know if we chucked on 10 kilos of muscle, they then might lose that, you know, speed and things like that, or they might not be as agile as they once were, be able to get around the park as, as well as they could. And I guess you've got to have that in the back of your mind as well. You've got to weigh up, you know, the pros and cons. If I give them this, is it going to take away from that? And therefore, are we still going to have the same player? Or are they going to lose some qualities of what they've got?
1: Yeah, and generally, hopefully, with prioritization, you should eventually balance out and you'll eventually work through that strength continuum to make sure that you've plugged enough holes so that as they've improved they've been able to develop in different areas but inevitably some things do happen and your attention is um, taken away from whatever area it is and you do sometimes miss that but yeah hopefully periodization plans that's when that comes into it and
2: you'll really be able to make sure that you don't miss too much. How much of your uh, coaching is reinforced or changed by your own observations of how they play in games or practices? So, do you kind of do you observe them when they realize they don't know they're being observed, as it were? And then you think, actually, yeah, that guy's he's been quicker, a bit sharper. And I need to tweak his program, or is it just fed back from the uh, other coaching team? A little bit from the coaching team. The the co- if someone's being sluggish
1: and slow, they'll tell me definitely. Uh, but yeah, I, I I go to every game. I watch them constantly. And if I think someone's not quite uh, physically where they should be, I'll definitely review the programme and see how I can adjust that to
0: make sure they do reach those goals. Right. Okay yeah that's really important is it to constantly be evaluating and I was going through you know bumpers periodization um last night actually I was just having a quick flick through and it there was you know within the process they're saying you know how is the training plan working? you've got to evaluate it quite regularly and then see whether it's conducive to what they're trying to achieve if it's not okay you look at tweaking it and things like that and then um going around full circle so I completely get where you're coming from you know yeah. on that. as an SNC, I think that's the thing you you can't be too hard on
1: yourself, you have to think, okay, you can cover all bases in a program, but inevitably you might you you might think you've covered everything you might miss something or depending on the individual you might not quite have got those goals right i mean it's you' just got to take a step back sometimes and realize okay I haven't got that quite right I'll get it right in the next one and it's it's just a continual learning process, and I don't think s and c coaches especially guys who are new to the industry and New to coaching, you shouldn't be too hard on yourself. You had to really, you know, be, be proud of the fact that you've put someone through this program, they've progressed, and then be able to step back and think, okay, yes, they've progressed, but how could I make made that better?
0: Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. Um, okay, wicked. So, and we'll go back to, uh, we've already gone off on a tangent. <laughs> um, the, the very first thing that you do, so when you're going into a club, so how are you going to make sure that the programming you've got for the team and the individual? is relevant to the sport that they want to play. So what's the process that you go through to sort of make that happen?
1: Yeah, uh, so should ideally, whatever athlete it is you need to do, a needs analysis, you know, what, what do they need out of it? Um, and In my case, they're rugby players. So what do we need? What components do we need to look at? And how can we make sure they can withstand the demands of a game? hmm So if you break, if you do uh, sort of a needs analysis of rugby, it's a a lactic aerobic sport. So even though it's an intermittent sport, the prime energy systems used throughout a match are generally the aerobic system and there's bouts of various anaerobic high intensity or power-based movements.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And those can come in the form of tackles or sprints and then the aerobic stuff, just the general movement across the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's sort of the energy system side of it. Yeah. And then if we look at the other sides, you know, they need lower limb and upper limb strength. Mm-hmm. They need to velocity. So they need to be quick. They need speed. And they need rate of force development. So they need power. Mm-hmm. So we need to make sure that overall our periodization plan is going to continually progress those general areas. Yeah, um, But I think one thing is really important to, to note is, um, it's got to be a minimum effective dose, especially in pre-season. You're running them hard; they're learning loads; they're taking in so much information. It, you you don't want to you don't want to overtrain them. They need to be able to recover as well as improve through those sessions. And I think um, going back to those topics, speed as a young SNC is something that always sort of scared me slightly. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't covered too much in my masters. No, it's um, never it, really- I, I, <laughs> It's just really frustrating because I don't think people realise how important it is. But and my masters just didn't cover enough for me to feel confident with it at the time. Mm-hmm. So, as a little, you know, uh, tip for young S and C's coming up, don't panic too much about the speed training because if you improve their ability, they're sort of develop their intersegmental coordination. So, how well does an athlete transfer force through the hips and knees and ankles? Can they stabilise their spine during that process? So in turn, you're just improving their strength to weight ratio. So can you make them stronger? And if you make them stronger, they're probably going to get quicker. Yeah. So that's just a little thing for up and coming SNCs. Don't panic too much about it. Obviously, do your research um, because I do think it is something that is lacking within the SNC industry.
0: I think I think there's uh, you know different coaches take many different approaches um, to sprint and things like that and you and you just touched on there with a minimum dose sort of relationship when it comes to in the gym people are quite confident with knowing how how much we need to stimulate the athlete to get sort of the the uh, desired outcome I think with sprinting that's sometimes unknown um, and also with athletes as well they're they want to feel like they're going all the time so actually when we're sprinting it's about the quality rather than the quantity so making sure that you have adequate recovery between sprints and things like that is is really really important um yeah. so it's, it's, it's hard to make sure that we have that in place um so that the athlete is actually improving working on things like maximal velocity or you know initial acceleration they've got to be the focus rather than fatiguing the athlete if that makes sense
1: yeah and you can break down those intersections to slowly improve them and if you're new to it then you know look at those sections what breaks down how speed works how how does someone move like saying acceleration max velocity all those sort of aspects of it yeah look into them and then you can make a real basic template of how to improve someone over time working all those aspects and do um i don't know if you follow a guy called sam portland he says speed if, if you're sloppy when you're slow you're going to be sloppy when you're quick so, like you're saying, minimum effective dose. Mm-hmm. It could just be five minutes of just speed mechanics, just doing pogos or whatever it is, bit of pliers, to just get, the ball, get the ball rolling. It doesn't have to be revolutionary. No. Mm
0: just helps get it going yeah no so it's fantastic so the first couple of bits then <clears throat> obviously with your job as, as a role you're looking at sort of the physiological demands of the sport which is what you touched on there in terms of any energy system things like that and then you're going into sort of some of some of the more biomechanical demands so you're looking at sort of upper limb movement or lower limb movement and then we talked on specifically there when you're going into sprint stuff so the use of triple extension is what happens when when you're sprinting things like that and one of the you know me and Tom were speaking about it the other day, is people want to train for power all the time, but yet they just don't go and sprint. Obviously, it, it's it's that sort of wariness around sprinting for some reason. So how often in pre-season were you sort of implementing sprinting for, for the team?
1: It was literally minimum effective dose. So once, maybe twice a week at the most, we didn't do an awful lot. And I think that was because we had such a big, Pre season ahead didn't want to burn them out really um, but and my experience with Bedford it was just sort of once a week as well, so I took what I learned from that into my role at MPto. I think a good thing we could also talk about at some point maybe later on in this is sort of the periodization of a, of a week in preseason or generally in season if you wanted, so that yeah. people could sort of understand that sort of
0: mid to high um, loading Yeah. Yeah, well, go for it. Yeah, go for it. So talk about sort of how you break that down in, into a week then. Yeah, OK. Um, so in season, you're sort of wary at the start
1: of the week when it comes to the conditioning side of things because you would have played a game. Mm-hmm. But pre-season, you don't have that worry. So pre seasons we were sort of going for a medium high, high to a medium low uh, in season. So the... So, we're doing three sessions a week. So, the, the, the last session could be a bit more skill orientated because we spent, we sort of front loaded the week with two harder sessions. Mm-hmm. And then in season, the, um, and this goes with the gym training as well. So, yeah, Monday yeah. would be like a lower body day, Tuesday, upper body day, and then a Thursday would be sort of a power development day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that's, that sort of stuck, the theme sort of stuck throughout pre season two. Um, said um again <laughs> from pre-season <laughs> through to in-season but the uh, the periodization of that the actual sessions changed from pre-season it was more total body every day so we're sort of hammering all aspects of the body throughout the throughout the week whereas <laughs> uh, in-season like I said earlier it was lower upper than total body and if, if say someone's really beaten up on a Saturday from a game Yep. They wouldn't. They wouldn't, and I couldn't do lower body on a on a Monday. Then they do upper body if they're too beaten up to do upper body. They just do a recovery session, and then depending on how they felt the next day, they could then do that process again. Are they too stiff to do lowers? If they are, then go to uppers. If not, recovery again. Thursday power. I mean, it's not ideal, but it's all about that minimum effective dose. And I think a lot of the guys that I work with this year, because they're some of them aren't from that more professional background when I first implemented the programmes they're like three, four sessions a week what's this like, they, they couldn't believe how little volume it was but it was all taxing and it's all going to develop them but they just they couldn't quite get into their heads because maybe they'd be doing the bro splits or whatever it was
2: in the past to get them to where they were not leaving the gym crawling and uh, they don't understand yeah yeah, just can't <laughs> move their arms above their heads but that's I the- had a conversation with a guy he was uh, and I won't say way too much for each, but this conversation with the the guys. He, was, uh, he came from professional football background. He started playing at a slightly lower level. When I, I spoke to Reese about this. And they were doing, he basically he came into the gym. He was really, really tired. And uh, I, said, you know, I said, Yeah, I had a training session last night. We did lots of drills, lots of sprint work, which was great. And then we just finished with shuttles to exhaustion. And I was like, Well, how did you feel after the sprint work? He said, I felt really good. You felt energetic. And it was like, it, it had had a positive response. But then the old adage of, OK, well, let's just grind them into the dirt and leave, let them leave exhausted, and that's going to have a positive effect. Well, actually, it's probably just completely undone all that mechanics they worked on and sprint stuff, because their body's not going to run, because they're gassed from all the shuttles they've just done. You yeah. think it, you just got to have that switch We say, right, leave feeling good, and tomorrow you're going to be a little bit better than you were today. And, and I think there probably is a little bit of a place in there for the odd
1: crushing, soul-crushing session. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, like you said, those, some people think that's what's required. So every now and again, it's good to just beat them up on the pitch and just make them feel like they've achieved something. Um, going back to sorry, the more uh, plan for the week. So, like I said, pre-season was more of a medium-high-high high, and then a medium-to-medium-low session, whereas in-season would be a, a low session at the start of the week when they're training lower body because they're still beating up from the weekend. They've got to get that session in, and then the Tuesday will be sort of the higher, medium, to high, highest session of the week, and then back on our Thursday, more of a medium session. Just because you don't, you wouldn't want to taper too much down in season uh, later on in the week, because you front loaded the se- the week with most of the volume, but you wouldn't want to taper too much down so that they're not in the right physical state for the weekend. But you want to have enough, like like we keep saying, minimum effective dose, enough work through their legs so that they're still going to move in. Performing so they can recover enough to perform on the weekend.
0: Yeah. So when it comes to working that out, so the the relationship between sort of volume and intensity on on a weekly schedule. When you first do that, is that worked out on a bigger on a bigger schedule? So through a macro cycle first, and then you sort of wilt it down into um, what would be their micros.
1: Yeah, and you've got to. That's what we went to at the start about talking to the coaches. You need to sort of make sure that's hit on the head. And different clubs have different ways to do it. And a good way for me to gauge how we were doing in the week was RPEs. So I'd have guys come in straight in from a session, they write down their RPEs, and I've got my certain numbers for certain days. And yeah. if they weren't hitting it, and I didn't have much of an influence on that session for whatever it was they were trying to achieve. And I said to them, Okay, next week they need to be uh RPE eight, for example, yeah, and they were at a six either give them to me for that period of time or you've got to implement that yourself and you work that relationship throughout the season with the coaches but yeah generally we did try to periodize it and we put in tapers for big games um, like deloads throughout the
0: season but yeah generally we were organizing those uh, those loads Mm, no, that's really good. And obviously, I guess with small-sided games and things like that, that's where some things will come in. <clears throat> where you were saying, getting them to an RPE level, which is appropriate, because you can manipulate some of the variables in there to make sure that they're hitting the desired zones.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, the Ampt boys know that I love drop-off touch. They probably hate it. <laughs> so, uh, if anyone's not familiar, you've, uh, if you touch someone, it's like touch rugby. You've got to sprint back to your trial line. And then before you can uh, before you're
0: allowed back into the game, and uh i I rinse that one quite a lot, <laughs> yeah, but that's that's you know that's something that we've all sort of experienced, and we know what it's like, but the best thing is that is that you've still got your you know your technical skills involved in the small sided game, so it's not it doesn't feel like you're just running for running's sake, yeah, um where you know players can get quite um disengaged if you if you tell them that it's gonna be half an hour of just you know you know, pure fitness, as it were. Probably not so much when you're looking at championship level because they they understand sort of the requirements of, of the game and training. But... They still dread it though, mate. They still, there's, I don't think any player probably enjoys pre-season. You get yes. the, odd, the odd freak, but yeah, I think you're <laughs> you're right. <laughs> And it comes through and then, yeah, you're going through that. Okay, wicked. Um, And so at the moment, obviously, it's a little bit of a challenge, isn't it, for you, um, knowing how you're going to get to pre-season, when it's going to start and things like that. So what are you trying to do at the moment? How are you going about planning your, your pre-season?
1: So me and the coaches are just communicating as much as we can, really. I mean, it's difficult because a gym from a gym perspective, I want to be able to cover all bases, but the boys, they're in lockdown Mm -hmm. so as soon as they're out i personally think we need a minimum of six weeks and i I, this is the thing we just don't know when we're going to get out and if we get out in july then we've got plenty of time hopefully until the season starts and we can plan things effectively and properly but i think depending on how the virus goes and when we're allowed out i think we'd need a minimum of of six weeks Mm -hmm. just to sort of leap everything to make sure we could get enough uh, proper SNC through them. So are we putting them through uh, the different demands that we need to put them through? So are they getting essentially stronger through their legs so they can withstand force and, you know, sidestep or whatever it is? Are they upper body strength wise? Are they strong enough Are their spine stabilizing for scrums? There's so
0: many different aspects that we need to work on. Yeah, so I think yeah, yeah. like six weeks has to be the minimum, really. And, and that takes that takes a little bit of time because obviously they're they're training as much as they can at the moment, but it's very hard to replicate those sort of situations, isn't it? Yeah, and the DOM there should
1: there should be experiencing some crazy DOMs, so we're gonna have to really focus on recovery for them. Mm-hmm. the The volume and intensity that they're going to train at isn't going to be that high at first because they're not going to be able to withstand it. So it is a really frustrating period, and I. I don't know how they'd handle a five by five right now. It might have to be a three or a four by yeah. five. And a five by five is just a real easy way to do strength training, obviously. But we just don't know what they're going to handle, how they'll handle it. And I think the reason why I've got six weeks in my head is to sort of leapfrog this and try to get as much under our belts as we can. I use something called French uh, contrast training. I have spoken to Reese about this in the past. So if anyone doesn't know French contrast training, or contrast training in general is where you superset a strength movement with a plyometric movement or yeah sort of movement so then you're working proprioception and also sort of, you're working in unison together basically one's going to help the other and hopefully if i was doing the french style of contrast training which works on eccentric isometric and concentric uh sections or proportions then i could get them quicker better and a bit stronger in a relatively short window mm. and be, be able to withstand the demands of the game you know, all the different um supersets of plyometric stuff would hopefully help them withstand it a lot quicker mm. so it's just it's it's just a frustrating period of time because i'm just trying to think of a master plan if it is that we've only got a small window of how yeah. i can implement as much as i can in that window mm.
0: Yeah, nice. It's going to be tough for everyone, I think, in the same situation and, you know, particularly for for the Prem guys and then also, you know, the football teams as well at the moment because they're probably going to end up, there's talk about them going back fairly soon. We know that yeah. the sports ministers are in talks with, the, you know, um, Premier League people at the moment and it might be that we get back fairly, fairly sharpish. So we just don't know at the moment. It's going to be... Uh, a hell of a challenge and they're also looking at introducing things like more substitutes you know in football um, to help account for that but you know if they're not prepared they're not prepared um, which is which is going to be the struggle It does make me worry about the premiership players because you like to
1: think with the champ players because the season's been axed, we'll hopefully have a serious amount of time a proper amount of time to look after these players and get them into the condition that we need them to but I really do struggle to think how these Prem players are going to be in a physical state to play soon. I don't quite
0: understand it. Uh, Difficult. Okay, let's go back to, um, we have gone off on a tangent as always. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But obviously you've gone through your needs analysis. So you've got an idea of um, what it is that the players need to be, or need the the, um, attributes that they need to have to be able to perform the game well. Then, in terms of um, a testing battery and being able to assess those qualities, um, how did it how did it work for you in pre-season?
1: Uh, I was lucky and not lucky, I suppose, with Amtel because their facilities they didn't have everything that I would want in a world-class facility that you'd, that you'd expect. But I was lucky with the fact the head of medical, Michael McDwyer, is a really is ama- amazing dude. He's got so much patience, so much knowledge. He is one of the lecturers at the University of Bedfordshire. I think I spoke about him previously in the last pod, maybe briefly. So I had luckily I had access to all of the Bedford kit, the of Bedford kit, so I could get light gates, uh counter movement jump mat, that I could get sort of I could get around what I really wanted. So generally we did sort of body fat, so body comp, um 10 meter, 20 metre, and 30 meter sprints with the light gates. Yeah, generally yeah, yeah. players don't sprint much over 30 meters so that was sort of our limit and if we did 10 meters we'd do acceleration as well as speed mm-hmm. um what else do we do we did chins and bench for upper uh, upper limb movements for strength assessment and squats for lower body assessment we also did cmj for lower body power mm-hmm. and that was about it really that was all of the tools that i had at my disposal
0: so that's all we could really do it gives you a well-rounded picture, though, of the attributes that they need, doesn't it? So, yeah. in terms of then um, collating that data and then being able to put it into a visual to assess some of the players, were you assessing them amongst themselves or were you comparing them to other data that you have had hold of or anything like that and to assess whether they're above or below where they need to be? Yeah, other other data that I'd
1: either collected in uh, my time with Bedford or during my Masters just from research I think a good tip for any uh, s doing their masters, sorry, guys doing their SNC masters, is depending on what field you want to work in, mm. that's what you should base your assignments on. I did so many of my assignments I based on rugby literature because I knew that was the field I wanted to go into. And in turn, that's helped me later on down the line because I, all of a sudden I've got this data to sort of work off. Of.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of, one of my literature reviews was based on... Um, all the sort of um, qualities of rugby so strength power and it was sprint momentum that I did as well and I basically collated all the elite level data and all the different ways that you can a firstly test it but then put it all together to give average measures in different positions so that yeah when it comes when it comes to working in the field with rugby and things like that you have an understanding of you know, the, the counter movement jump height that you would expect a, you know, a back row player to have, or you know, um, the sprint speed that you would expect um, a back three player to have, and things like that. So, it's you, you do have to try and fall back on some knowledge that you, that you have and then to, to push yourself forward as well. Yeah, and also if you can do
1: multiple tests, I was lucky with last preseason, it was the world's longest preseason. So I managed to do about three, three bouts of tests. So I had quite a good bit of data on the boys. And from that, I could make their own sort of performance profiles. So they've got them for the following season. So, you know, last season, this is your targets for this season. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's a really good paper by, I think it's McGuigan, which talks about sort of radar plots and things like that and how you actually translate where, um that the players are currently and then you can compare that to sort of international standard and things like that um so that players have areas for development as well and they can see the areas that they're already at the level that they need to be at yeah uh, that's so i just think it's really important for the players to see that hmm. is that something that you guys do at anthem then so once you have a full sort of profile you're then um saying to the player's right, you're explaining to them. Because some people can think, you know, oh, I'm I'm fine, like, this area of my game is good. But actually, when it then looks at it on paper, they're actually a little bit below where they need to be. So are you communicating that? Is it just you yourself speaking to the player or do the coaches get involved in that as well? All these, all that information does go to the coaches and directors.
1: You know, They've got that. If, if they're really unhappy with how a player's developing, they're clearly not putting the work that they need to. To, to hit those goals then they'll step in but generally it was just me communicating with the players mm-hmm. the, the, I, generally the guys like to lift they like to be strong they want they want good numbers the one thing that I found uh, interesting was body comp body fat testing the boys would do anything to get a better body fat they'd be like oh I'll do mine after training after I've sweated loads and <laughs> they just they just really wanted to get the best body fat score all the time. And if they went up, I had to have those honest conversations. But like, mate, have you been eating McDonald's on the weekend or what? Like what's going on <laughs> post game when I'm not there? Yeah. <laughs> because it happened. I had I mean, I had so many boys in these Tongans, they love their food, they love their pork. Pork's are like their main <laughs> staple in their diet and there's been you know, a pork, depending on what cut it is, it's not it's not exactly calorie um can't be friendly no,
0: it's, it's, uh, yeah it's not the leanest cut of meat <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, you have to have those conversations with those boys and us. they take it on the chin if they don't then they can answer to the higher powers above me really
0: yeah and I guess with, with sort of some of the testing and bits and pieces obviously there's competition for places in the squad as well so you know no one's going to want to be shown up did you find that that sort of drives people on um, with their with their training, things like that, if they know that they've got their testing coming up or, you know, they're, they're not going to be wanting, if it's groups in positions, things like that, they're not going to be wanting to come bottom of, of their group, as it were, or bottom of the forwards, bottom of the backs, etc.
1: Yeah, that is such a driving force in players wanting to do better and you getting good results as a coach, really. I'd, I'd make sure I'd warn them. The only time I didn't warn them was for body fat every now and again, just to make sure I got any boys who were trying like slipping up. Uh, but generally I'd warn them when we're doing the uh, the fitness stuff and all those sort of tests so that they're, they're prepared because they will spend two weeks, if they know it's happening in two weeks, smashing their diet and training to make sure they get good scores. The, the two quickest guys on our course have got their two best CMJs, obviously, and they really just go went at each other and pep the little little communications throughout the week, just giving each other some stick to say who's going to get better. It's, it's all good um, rivalry and competitiveness, which I think you should have in a, in a game like rugby in preseason, just to help boost everybody and uh, not, not dread it
0: either. No. Mm.
2: no.
0: And I guess that falls on you a little bit as well as, as a coach to try and install that ethos within the squad. Um, so obviously knowing that they've got some testing coming up, but also they've got their training plans, but actually how that can translate to have a positive result on the pitch because some players just think you know it's all well and good if they've got good scores in in the test but actually then they're going to see the results later on down the line when it comes to stepping out on the pitch and having to do the business.
2: Yeah
1: I think it really helps me as a coach or any essence as a coach develop that relationship with the players if you can get them to get the better score and then they start on the weekend and they play better that they're going to remember that you put that time and effort into into them. And that's something I learned under Jamie Bain at Bedford. His relationship with the players was amazing. They wanted to do everything for him. And that's something I I want to keep uh in my coaching because I think it's so important to have a good rapport with players
0: and get them to buy in. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. No, it's really good. Um, and then just sort of culminating your pre-season then to determine whether they're at the level that they're at um, before they start the season. How how do you go about gauging that?
1: I d- it's difficult. <laughs> you, can, you can set markers all you like, but until they play that first game, I think every player would agree you can't quite prepare them for that first contact, that first collision and scrum or whatever it is. You know, you just spent 10 minutes running around and then you've got a three reset scrums and then a line-up. It's, it's such a demanding game. So especially, especially when the ground's hard, early doors. Yeah, massively. and I was lucky that until we they did a pre-season game between the players because we've got this big squad. So that, for me and all the other coaches, we could see who was lagging, who wasn't lagging mm-hmm. and make a uh, what's the word for? Change the programme or adapt their programme to whatever it is to make sure that they are keep, keep improving because they're not quite at the level they're at But they need to be at, sorry.
0: Yeah, it's so important, isn't it? To, but like you say, you don't know. You can try and plan as much as you want and you can implement as much, you know, um, strength-based training, power-based training and, you know, all the things. But there's nothing quite like actually replicating that match sort of scenario.
1: Yeah, I think that's the same for other sports as well, like yeah. football,
2: hockey. They're so demanding aerobically. That... Hear that often, footballers. You just can't replicate match fitness. They say, yeah. and, and and you know, to an extent, they're right. But mm. they how,
1: how much, how how often can you do aerobic sessions with a footballer before they start to hate you? Yeah. As a coach, that you can't do, you can't kill them so that they're going to be ready for that ninety-minute game. This, there's, that there's, there, the, your relationship will break down, <laughs> probably. So yeah, it is just.
0: You can't quite prepare them for that first one, unfortunately. No, it takes a little bit of time to to get themselves used to it and get themselves um, fit and firing again, which is why we're going to have a little bit of an issue when we go back. But hopefully, you know, if players are out trying to keep their fitness, then that'll be great at the moment. Hmm. Fingers crossed the boys are working hard. They say they are, so (laughs) we'll find out on day one. (laughs) Nice one. All right, Jim. Yeah, perfect. I mean, is there any sort of final comments that you had to make on anything that we discussed or anything else that you wanted to touch on at all? Um, I don't think so.
1: I think I've covered most things. I think I might have said in the last pod that I think strength is sort of the main injury prevention for a young SMC. You can do all the fancy things, but unless they're progressing in the gym, and getting stronger. Uh, That's like such an easy way to help them deal with the demands
0: of whatever sport they're playing. do you do you measure do you measure strength in absolute strength or relative strength?
1: Well absolute just because it's a bit easier. <laughs> yeah. Just to be simple. I, I try to keep everything as simple as I can. Uh mm-hmm. just just for me, so I can just look at everything on a broad
2: perspective and track and analyse it in the most appropriate way. Well as... that that's uh, that's supported by um what Dr. Jason Lake said. His his closing remarks were, you know, for the for the majority of his interviews, it was just like he was, you know, talking about his research and 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 he's obviously at the very cutting edge of what he's doing. But his final thoughts were, keep it simple, you know, don't overcomplicate it. Um, and then, like you said, all you know, reflect on what you're doing, and if you need to change something, change it. Don't don't worry about the fact you may have got something wrong.
0: Yeah. That was that was his main reg- yeah. We asked him, didn't we? What were your main thoughts with regards to a young s coach going into the industry? What would you do? And he talked a lot about you know all, with all the all these tests that are available to a practitioner, how best you would go about implementing the right one to to know that it's going to get the right thing. And he said, well, actually, you know, people. He went to a UK SCA conference and said to them, "How many of you are using a CMJ?" And most people put their hands up. And then he said. Can someone tell me why you're using the CMJ? And then everyone sort of shied away from from responding to that um, answer. And, and that in itself is is key. You know, people can want to implement the test, but not necessarily know why that they're doing it or how it's going to benefit the athlete in the longer term. And it sounds like you've got a good rationale and reasoning for all the tests that you sort of under you, you sort of with the team, and and how that can then um, you know enforce the, the training principles that you're going to put put in place. Yeah, and that's why
1: I tried to keep it simple as well, because if the player comes to me and asks, you know, why am I trying to bench one point... uh, Sorry, why am I trying to squat two times my body weight or whatever it is, my metric that I use, I want to say to them, this is why, Mm -hmm. and uh, make sure they understand why.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And that's key as well. That's another thing. I was speaking to someone else yesterday, I think it was, and I was just saying, for some reason people like to make themselves sound fancy so that they know like it makes them seem more intelligent than they actually are for some reason and in any other profession if you go to a mechanic you don't want them to explain to you why they're or how they're going about fixing your car you just want your car fixed <laughs> you know but with with people in the fitness um, industry it's like it's a competition to see yeah. who who knows the most amount of knowledge and things and actually you're just driving people away from you. You're scaring them off. It's it's not needed. Simplicity is key.
2: I couldn't agree. I yeah. need like a, uh, you know, forty-five-year-old Doris to know the ins and outs of the Krebs cycle. She she just wants to get fit. <laughs> you know, yeah. Bit fit you know? yeah.
1: I couldn't agree anymore. Uh, I've even on like my masters. You along the way, you meet different people, and some people are so theory-driven, mm. and I think it actually ha- hold, holds them back slightly from achieving what they want because, like you said, they scare people off or. They just overload people with information when actually, this is the reason why you can do something and this is the desired desired outcome. Like, you just don't have to overcomplicate things too much. And I think that's a reason why I've managed to get to where I am because I don't
2: overcomplicate it and I can simply progress someone by appropriate means. Well, it's that thing we were talking about, wasn't it? Because that, that's the thing, but a lot of, lot of the, the interview with Jason obviously, you know, he can go technical all day long, but what he's very good at and and very much a layman in this topic, I was, I could understand what he was on about. And it's having that ability to explain what you know to someone who knows absolutely nothing about it in a way in which they can understand. And that that's, you know, what makes you a good coach, good teacher, good lecturer, whatever, you know. Um, but I think that the minimum effective dose is probably one of the most important things I'd taken away from this interview. You know, it's, um, it's the thing that people probably underestimate the most, is just doing the very, very minimal amount you need to elicit the greatest response. And um, I think given the environment we're in, COVID it's is it's showing just how effective that can be, probably.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I completely agree, mate. You put the nail on the head there. Yeah. And and the thing yes, is
2: I've contributed fellas.
0: <laughs> the thing is with with prob- uh, you know, the athletes face or just everyday people um, face as well when it comes to trying to get a little bit fitter or healthier or improving is you also have that concept of Actually, consistency is probably one of the things that, that's that been missing from their training for, for God knows how long. And, it, and that doesn't matter whether you're Joe Boggs walking into the gym or whether you're, you know, Johnny Wilkinson. It's, it's that consistency over time that actually helps them to improve. You don't necessarily need a fancy dancy, you know, scientific Background to so to have that, you just need a bit of consistency in there with the right principles underpinning why you're doing things.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be just the gym. You know, people can use that in everyday thing. It could be the diet, it could be that I have an apple every day this week instead of
0: a chocolate bar. You know, it, it's that simple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, mate. Yeah, nice one. Well, thank you very much for coming on again, part two. um Obviously, this has been a little bit more of an insight into your practices and how you're getting the team ready for pre-season what you did last year um, so I'm sure we'll speak to you again but from everyone on on behalf of SBC wish you the best of luck this season when you finally get yeah. back out and in amongst it Cheers guys yeah thanks so much for having me on hopefully I did uh, myself an ample justice so yeah
2: thank <laughs> you for the exposure I really appreciate yeah. be um it'd be good to see what your what your players are like when they do come back to um pre-season yeah. maybe, na- maybe nail them with the body fat day one <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's, it's going to be pretty soon
0: when we get back that we'll be doing that so they'll hate me no, I
2: appreciate your
0: time Jim where's the best place that people can find you on social media Jim? Uh Instagram's
1: probably the number one uh, which is just MacPerformance94 yep. and then Twitter I think um, Jim at underscore Mac94 but generally yeah Look for Mac Performance 94.
0: And if anyone's got um, any sort of rugby questions or rugby-based training, things like that, can they pop you an email?
1: Yeah, uh, so email address is gym at uk. So yeah, feel free to contact me over email or drop me a DM or on social media, whatever is easiest for you guys. Yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions. Um, yeah, just thanks again for the exposure, guys.
2: It's really nice. Okay. I'll put all that stuff in the, in the notes and the, the podcast when it goes out as well, mate.
1: Thank you very much, Tom. Cheers, mate. All yeah, nice. I've really enjoyed it. So thanks, guys. All right. Cool. Peace All you.
2: right.